What's up, everybody? It's your old friend, John Middlecoff. I'm here to tell you about our friends at Game Time. Here's what I need you to do. Go to your smartphone, download a little app called Game Time. Baseball season's in full swing. Oracle Park. Been there a million times. Never doesn't live up to the hype. Go get yourself some garlic fries, a brewski, maybe uh, some ice cream. They have very good Ghirardelli ice cream there. And when you do that, promo code HAM. So download the Game Time app. Your first pair of tickets, promo code HAM, H-A-M, save $20. The A's, only going to be in the Bay Area for the rest of this season. You probably can basically go for free. Just buy a pair of tickets to any baseball game. They also have comedy shows if you want to check one of those out, or concerts. Game Time app, promo code HAM, save yourself $20. We don't even need to thank you. Just hammer that promo code. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Middle call! Hey, behave! Good stuff today. Good a lot stuff going on in quarantine. Find, yeah. yeah. A lot going on. Even when it feels like there's not a lot, we find all the, we're like, well, what do we got? And then there's a bunch of stuff. So you gotta you gotta dig deep. You know, when uh former special teams coach for USC Trojans and the Fresno State Bulldogs also had a little stint at Michigan, John Baxter used to say, when you find yourself in a hole, easiest way to get out is to drop the shovel. Okay. Uh, well, when you're in a hole like quarantine and you're looking for topics, you just got to keep digging. Keep so digging. You, you want to hold on to that shovel for dear life. I feel good about what we got today. I, I, don't, I do not, too. No, I do not too. A, uh, you know, this was this wasn't very tough. Like there there were a couple stories that popped up, and there were you know BP fastballs in the business that we'd like and we're interested in. But you could see how you know you get caught on the wrong day. It could be tough. Yeah. <laughs> a lesser, a lesser group of podcasters would struggle. Um, did, did you did you want to break down the Ricky Fowler, Dustin Johnson, Matt Wolf, Rory McIlroy uh, match? I think it's going on Saturday on oh, TBS. You scared me. I thought I missed it. No, it's it's. I think it's this weekend. We should There's talk no about ca- that for a minute. Car- carrying their own bags, I guess. We should talk about that for a second before we do. Though, uh, Kinder's Evergood Sausage Company, friends of the shows, and. Uh, if you're looking for a little food to support locally, go get them. Yeah, I'm actually thinking about going to Kinder's for lunch. Uh, we're recording this a little bit before. Maybe get a barbecue chicken sandwich. Maybe get send me the, a picture, uh, would you please? Yeah, I will. The steak ribeye. They have a good. Tri- maybe I'll go tri tip. Maybe mix it up a little bit. How do you not? Uh, some, some, you know, they got really good potato salad. You know, they also when you walk in, those Doritos are usually staring you right in the face. Uh, you, you got options. Support local. Been in business since 19. 19- 46, so just a couple years before you and I came onto this earth. Not 46, but maybe 45. That's how long Florio says Russell Wilson wants to play, which is a long way away. 
So let's start there. Are you buying? Some people are just dismissing Florio. Clickbait. Could Russell Wilson be traded by the Seahawks? Uh, I don't think anything is too crazy to discuss. Uh, and part of what makes this fun is that there's a discussion about whether or not he was going to get traded to the Browns a couple of years ago. I remember this story. He ends up signing a contract with a no trade clause in it. What? How much stock do you do you view this story as straight COVID environment? Florio needs something to write, or are him and Sims pulling on a string that that might turn into a real ball of yarn one day? Well, <laughs> there is a no trade clause in his new deal, which I think Florio wrote about is a big reason that got put into the deal was because this discussion was taking place. Now, what I'm fascinated always, these discussions, people act like you just don't discuss your good players in a front office. Like, What do you think when you're working in football and you're in the office literally all the fucking time, what do you think you talk about? Like, you know, just uh, what the weather is? (laughs) You're constantly talking about other players, Price of players, price of draft picks, who's going to go where, what you trade this guy for. You're watching every fucking player in the league. Uh, Every year, you know, the discussion when guys go into free agency, who's going to get franchise tagged, who's not, who might get tagged and traded. Like, this is the constant conversation. Now, it's a little different with quarterbacks, right? Once you have a star quarterback, that guy's usually kind of on scholarship. But he was headed into a deal... Do you remember when Russell got his first deal and it was kind of polarizing? And one thing he was like going to be adamant and fight for was a fully guaranteed contract because he had a baseball agent. Remember that? Like yeah. Six, seven years ago. Well, I think that it kind of came up. I remember reading a couple years ago, like they were going to really do it this time. Try to get like $180 million guaranteed. So maybe if you're the Browns, you go, well, why don't we just reach out? We have the number one overall pick. You have a discussion Everyone has a price, right? I mean, you could live in the biggest mansion on the face of the earth that you paid $50 million for and built from scratch. Well, if someone walks up and offers you $200 million, you might think about selling it. Now, you might not. What, if I said to you, I'm the Cleveland Browns, what would I have to offer you? I have the number one overall pick. You have Russell Wilson, who's in a contract year. What number or, you know, the amount of picks and assets to even get you to be like, yeah, give me uh, give me 24 hours, I'll give you a call back. You'd have to be offering me a player that I think can replace Russell Wilson cheaper. And so that's why I think this discussion is unique to a, a year and a particular draft pick, right? Like, I don't think telling the Seahawks three ones, like, guarantees it gets it done, right? That is throwing $200 million at $50 million. I think if you're them, it's like, they might rather do a uh, home swap than get 150 times the value of their home. In other words, it might just be in a year where they think the quarterback they're going to get specifically is a guy they love. If they look at the draft and go, Sam Darnold, we think Sam Darnold can be as good. It can be a Hall of Fame MVP level quarterback. Then that's a time that they might. In other words, in two years, offering them the same thing the Browns offered them might be less appealing to them. Or in other drafts, it might be less appealing to them. I, you know, but but I'm saying like, okay, so it's Sam Darnold. That's who we love. So you're offering me Sam Darnold. Would it take Miles Garrett and a, maybe two twos? Would you think about that? 
if you love Sam Darnold, because you you got to factor in the economics of this, paying Russell Wilson all this money, and is there just a simple conversation of you guys hit on a Hall of Fame quarterback who at the time was 29 years old? What the fuck are you even having in this discussion? For? Right. Well, just ride this guy till the wheels fall off. Florio, this is what Florio wrote. Per a source with knowledge, the Browns contended the idea was floated conceptually, but the discussions did indeed happen. So it might be that the Browns are like, hey, we think the Seahawks really like Sam Darnold. Our intel says they've done a lot of work on him. We should call him up and offer him the number one pick for Russell Wilson. That, that, I mean, that could what, be as what, far as what the is the What I mean, is the tap? The other aspect here of that story, right, was that like Sierra didn't want to be in Seattle and Russell wanted out, right? Well, that wasn't part, that part of the aspect well, of the story. Well, no, I think that, that was like, remember, was Howard was talking about New York. Yeah, New York. Or the Jets or whatever. And that was the year that they ended up taking Saquon. My question is, is there a tax, even if I go, okay, I mean, that was like three general managers ago. Okay, I'll admit, I love Sam Darnold. And this, I get this question a lot, like, uh, does every team put the same fervor and effort into studying every player in the draft. And as we found out the last couple of years, because we have a lot of candid people that now run teams, that's not always the case. Right. The, the, when I worked for Howie Roseman and Andy Reid, you, every fucking player in your area, you attack like you might draft them. And we talked about every player, for the most part, maybe like a running back that was going to be a top 10 pick and you had 20, you didn't spend as much time on, but you still did work on that guy because you never know at any moment who you just might acquire, right? And this is the reason you approach, if you're the Miami Heat, you attack Aaron Wiseman this year just like you would the guys that are going to go in the second round. You have to put the same effort in because you just never know what one phone call might bring to your front door. But there has to be, if I'm the Seattle Seahawks, and I was even entertaining this, even if I said, okay, this was, I think, even before John Dorsey. Actually, it probably would have been John Dorsey because they took Baker Mayfield, right? That I'd go, well, I like Sam Donald, and I think he's going to be a star. But there's still an unknown element of the draft, of sports. I'm going to put a tax on this because I'm giving you the most valuable thing in all of sports a known commodity who's an elite player. And even though you're giving me the number one pick, which is a great quarterback draft in theory and a guy that I like, there, there's still a decent percent chance that he won't ever, even if he's good, won't ever live up to what yeah. I'm giving you, let alone ever live up to what we're drafting him to be. Right. You don't get to trade him me going, hey, you guys think he's a Hall of Famer, so we'll just make this a one-for-one swap? That's not yeah, how that's why. That's why I think it, it would be Miles Garrett, the number one pick, and then multiple picks after that. Probably be two ones. So you give yes. me the number one overall pick. You Next give year's me, one. You give me Miles Garrett. Oh, you're counting Miles Garrett as one of the ones? Yeah, because he's an elite player who's under contract and, you know, who had been the number one pick the year previously. And then maybe we go like two twos. So I get my quarterback, I get Miles Garrett. I trade you Russell Wilson, and I get multiple other draft picks that are valued at pretty good picks, right? Yeah. And I get a huge amount of cap relief because part of it is going, well, I'm overpaying. I'm giving you a shitload. I also then have to, because it's always the conversation of, well, it's a double whammy. You got to trade a lot, and then you got to pay them. Well, once a guy, as we've seen with Khalil Mack, once you get to the level of the elites of the elites, 
And you even saw it with Buckner. It's just like, yeah, the cost of doing business, and we don't even get That's your problem. You got to pay the guy, right? Right, right. You're just to acquire the asset. This is the cost of doing business. It's a lot. Uh, he goes on to say some close enough to the situation to know what may have actually, uh, what may happen, believe that Wilson could be traded, intriguing potential destinations. Keep in mind, in this sentence so far, we have close enough, may happen, believe, intriguing. What's quarantine? We're taking some swings. Would include, in our view, in our view. so this is not now what the other person's saying, Cowboys, Raiders, Saints, or as Sim says, any team that, quote, doesn't try to establish the run for three quarters and then have to ask him to save them in the fourth. Would you agree, and one thing I've learned watching a lot of old sporting events over the last couple months is crazy shit's been happening for my entire life in sports. <laughs> like, crazy things. This would have been right up there in terms of the craziest trade I've ever experienced in my lifetime yeah. in sports, right? I, I I mean, what... I'm trying to think, like, just crazy-ass trades... You don't get that many. I mean, you get, whoa, didn't think that would happen, but, like, not that crazy. Trading a quarterback in his prime who's a Super Bowl champion, I don't think it's ever happened. <laughs> the, the, yeah, it's, no, it's insane. It, it, but, would you, know, you, like, you, would you agree Khalil Mack's probably one of the crazier trades of our 30-plus years on this earth? Yeah. Remember, yeah. it was, like, unprecedented now, given a guy was a, his age. He was a holding-out player, right? This is... Like it yeah, was crazy, we, we, but he was see, a player. We've seen players out. try to draw a line in the sand and get dealt before. He won't be the first. He won't be the last. Just when, a guy factoring in his age and his talent. We don't see that guy ever traded. Remember, we were talking before the draft about like why don't teams announce? Like why doesn't the first pick get announced and we just start start this thing early? Um, I guess when 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 Steve Young got traded to the 49ers, the Bucks had the number one pick that year. They took Vinny Testaverde. Yeah, it didn't work out well. But they had signed Testaverde, or at least agreed to a contract with him, at least a couple of months before the draft. And they were going to trade Young to the Cardinals for the second pick. So they were going to have number one and number two. They really wanted Cornelius Bennett. Yeah. And Steinberg told the Bucks like, he's going to retire before he plays for the Cardinals. I mean, he, he wanted to get out of Tampa. They were awful. And he didn't want to go to the West Coast version of Tampa. Well, they were in St. Louis at the time, oh, and they the were just as bad. Like, they were both a joke. But the Bucks were going to have the first and the second, but they were just going to trade Steve Young for the second overall pick. You know, like, he was a hot – was a, that's a pretty significant commodity. Sneaky – I need to do a deep dive on the St. Louis football scene. So they yeah. had the Cardinals. Yeah. They lost the Cardinals. Then they gained the Rams. <laughs> just kind of a bizarre market, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, not uh, – been divorced a couple times. One divorce, no one says anything. Two divorces, people start looking at you. A little weird. Um, so anyway, I, 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 to me, it seems crazy. Now again, is it crazy in two years when Russell's making thirty nine million dollars against the cap? I, to me, that still is crazy. Did you see what? Uh, was well, this, they've made the they, they've won playoff games. I think the John, last two years, right? It's, it's worked. And they they are a Super Bowl contender even with him making what he makes. Did McAfee say I didn't get the whole clip? Did McAfee suggest the other day that quarterbacks have like a separate salary cap or something? Well, he might. I mean, that's been floated by different people over the years that maybe they should. I haven't heard that one before. Yeah, just to kind of separate it. 
or, you know, just ideas of one player a team gets a separate salary cap or, or you know, somehow, because I, I think the good general managers have always argued, you make it counterproductive. I draft well and I'm going to lose. The better I draft, the harder it is to keep my guys together. And if I hit on a quarterback, they have this outlier salary that they just take up a large percentage. Yeah. Baseball I, baseball's like, we have a solution. Yeah, I don't know the right answer, but I I do think there's something kind of down that road now. They just signed a new CBA, so we're this is a pointless conversation about that happening for the next decade. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's in the league's best interest for the best quarterbacks just to stay on the teams they're on and be twenty years. And I think they would argue why they don't need to is when do they ever leave? Yeah, that's right. That's once what makes you hit once you, weird. Yeah, once you hit on a quarterback, the guy just stays. Um you know, one thing, we, so we just did a video. If you're watching this YouTube, it's easy to find it. If you're listening to the podcast, go to our YouTube uh, channel. We just, Haberman and Middlecoff is that channel. We just did a video about Kyle Shanahan and how he becomes a top five coach. And a couple people in the comments um, suggested he's already a top five coach. Kim said in our YouTube comments, I already think he is currently a top five coach, not career-wise yet with all these coaches, got mad years on Kyle, age and head coaching experience. Um, and there were a couple other comments that, that echoed that, like he already is top five. So forget about him becoming top five. And I thought that was worth following up on because I think you and I both agree. If we were, if we owned a team and there was, how about a, how, inter, how about how interactive we are with the people? Yeah, was, <laughs> do what you got to do out here in these, these streets, John, our DMS are open. I mean, it's just, we're here yeah. for you guys. We appreciate you being here for us. Um, but I, I would you agree if you and I owned a team and there was a head coach draft and we had a top five pick, we'd probably take Kyle. We wouldn't. You take Bill and I, but I think you could you could justify taking Kyle with the third pick in a coach draft, right? Given his stock right now, I I would feel comfortable doing that. Put it that way. I think he would go a lot higher than his quote unquote resume says. It's no different than like. It's. A, I mean, it doesn't parallel exactly, but would Zion go higher than you know Anthony Davis or James Harden in a hypothetical draft from scratch by GMs? Right. There is a factor in youth, age, upside, the little bit you've seen. Um, I, I don't. I don't think it's crazy at all. I think he would go really, really high. But and, and I and I, in fairness, I think, and we talked a lot about this guy too. I think Sean McVay probably would go really high over guys that have won Super Bowls, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I just think I, I, the, the point to me on the follow-up is like, yeah, you can put him in the top five, no question. But I do think, our, and if you watch the video, the point ultimately is longevity determines if you're – like Russell's never won an MVP, but he's an MVP player, right? That's what we're talking about here. Are you a top five, all-encompassing, nobody-can-knock-it-down coach? There are some ways you can couch it where you'd say, yes, Kyle is. But you would have said before the Rams-Saints Super Bowl that McVay was a top three coach in the NFL. One year later, it's like, well, he's got a lot to prove. So I think that's the point with Kyle is, yeah, we'd be, we will, we will, you and I bet on the future. We would take Kyle Shanahan to be our head football coach right now. Um, you could justify draft. If we start really talking about age, you could justify drafting him number one overall, I think. Well, think about this. But it's about da- just stacking them up. Brick by when, da- when Dabo got the job at Clemson, I- I've read a couple articles. It was actually kind of controversial. People thought it was like a joke hire. 
you know, it was a pretty extreme. Who'd move. they want? Well, I, I I don't know if they necessarily had like one. They weren't like going after a big fish. It was just they internally once they made him the interim coach, loved him. It just worked. But he was pretty unknown. Then several years later, he was having some success, and people were like, oh, this guy's a pretty good coach. Then he goes to play Saban and goes toe-to-toe, but loses. And I would imagine if you said after you lost, then like, Dabo's clearly, you know, one of the better coaches in the country. But it would have been easy to argue there were other guys that have less miles had won a championship. You know, it would have been hard to put him in the top five. Well, now like four or five years later, after that moment, it's clear, fuck guy, I mean, is he the top college football coach right now? I mean, he's right there with Nick. He's much more accomplished, even though Ed Ogeron just beat him. Part of, and and I do this all the time, and it's one thing I learned of just like a guy can have a great season as a player or a coach or just anything in life. Like you can have moments. Part of being great as a coach, as a player, as a company, as just a human being is like doing it over a long period of time. Like it's easier to be a good. It's yeah. It's just easy to be a good dad for a day. Like, are you a good dad for like to get your entire your kid's entire life right, <laughs> his entire youth, or do you just show up when you know Disneyland comes calling? And I, I think that Kyle Shanahan, we're betting on this sustaining, but it's easy to kind of counter and just go. Well, he's only really had success as the head coach for one year. Now we've seen it do him separate several places an offensive coordinator. That's why. To me, it's easier to project him big picture than McVay because we've been watching him call plays since his late 20s where Sean was technically only the play caller for a year, remember? And it was still like, well, was Jake calling the play still? How much? And Sean's kind of shut everyone up because he's good. But there's just still some unknown. He's got new coordinators. He, he just hasn't been in charge that long. Is he even the guy picking the players? Where Kyle, it's, well, he's clearly in charge. He put the entire staff together. He's been putting staffs together for years as a coordinator. He's been a coordinator on teams, especially where he had the most success in Atlanta, where the head coach has nothing to do with offense. Yeah. And when you just watch, and the one thing I said on the video, like he does have some similarities to Andy in terms of being pretty even keel. Now, he might get a little consistently a little more angry, but I actually feel like he's, how often do we feel he gets that mad? You know, he doesn't, like, overreact, well, which yeah, you is a good quality. You don't get you, – you mentioned in that video, Parcells, you don't get a lot of Kyle screaming at players, right? It's usually Kyle screaming at officials. Like, like would, you say Harbaugh, would you say Harbaugh runs pretty hot? Yes. Yeah. Borderline at times, out of like, you feel like, is this guy in control? You know, I, I think you see it a lot with the college coaches, like Kirby Smarts, you know, the Gus Malzahn. You just see some videos of them just like, jeez – even Urban and Saban over the years, like, God, the guys are losing. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle doesn't really lose it. Yeah. Have you, when's the last video you've seen? Like, even it was the thing I was comparing to, like, Sean Payton and Andy Reid. Well, I think we've seen some videos of Sean being a little on tilt, right? And I think Har- John Harbaugh's like that. I think Tomlin has some moments. Arians, definitely. I, to me, Kyle is much more on the... Like when you thought Kubiak, Kubiak was pretty even keel. A lot of the op- yeah. Sean McVay, pretty even keel. A lot of but the offensive gurus are even keel. I would also draw a line between screaming at players and screaming at right. Like in college, you're definitely more likely to be screaming at players. Yeah, but just screaming in general, it just wherever, just losing your cool on the sideline. 
Yeah. Where it's probably harder as a play caller. You can't afford to really be losing your cool, right? You Even just though you have the head to be coach. More, a little less emotion. Are, yeah, you're right. If your thing is leadership, maybe emotion is more part of what you do. Like Parcells, Harbaugh, Tomlin, kind of you're rallying the troops. If Kyle's losing his shit and then two plays later he's got to fucking call a play, you might not be in the right frame of mind. So maybe it's it's more incumbent on an offensive play caller who's also the head coach to be in control. Yeah. I'd say I'll, I'll give you a guy who's, uh, you know, a hothead would be Bill O'Brien, and he's a he's a play caller. Right. Now, and you could push back. I I don't think there's just one way to skin a cat here. Because it works. People shit on Billy O. I mean, it works. He wins a lot, right? He's he's the hot. He's the leader in the hothead clubhouse, for sure. For offensive coaches, I think. Jo- John Gruden, you'd say he's a little hothead. Yeah. Even though I feels like he's mature. He's a lot different than he was when he was younger. Yeah. Now, it feels like. I, I tell me if you agree with this. Because I would consider myself a hothead in the sense of I struggled with my emotions when I'd get angry the majority of my life. And as I've gotten, like, turned the 30 corner into my 30s, I'm not saying I still don't have moments of just outrageous outbursts, even if I'm at the desk alone or in the car or whatever. You have a lot more control over it, I feel, now than I did 5, 10. I mean, in college... College, high school was out of control. I had zero control over. And I look back to like playing like high school golf tournaments, like throwing clubs, swearing, like how stupid that, what a waste of energy it is. Yeah. And you don't, it just takes a while to learn. And I wonder, for example, Kyle, there are some, like maybe he was much more hot headed when he was a younger coach and you just learn as you get older. Maybe you get around a, 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 the right guy like Matt Ryan and you talk through shit. Josh McDaniel's a good example. He feels much more under control as he's gotten older. I think there's just maturity as, as, as men. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's just anger that we're talking about too. I think it's, it's everything. Um, yeah. I, I'm talking just there, controlling there was, your emotions. Yeah. Th- there was a great article in the athletic I read this week about Dave Stewart. And Sandy Koufax and how Sandy Koufax helped Dave Stewart. And one of the things he told him was, like Dave Stewart, who pitched for the A's, uh, one of his qualities was like he was an intimidator because he wore his hat low. But one thing he said in the article was like, I didn't wear my hat low to be an intimidator. I wore my hat low because Sandy Koufax told me one time in spring training, like, do you always wear your hat up? And Dave said, yeah. And uh, Sandy said, well, pull your hat down right over your eyebrows. And just it should help you focus on the target. So he pulls his hat down over his eyebrows, and he he says he felt an immediate difference. Like all of a sudden, I just it was easier for me to focus on where I was supposed to throw the football. That's I mean the baseball. That's why I did that. And then the other thing he said was, and Sandy Kovacs had to work on it too. Was no matter what, never show your emotions. If you never show your emotions, the hitter never knows what you're thinking, and you immediately have an advantage. And you know, listening to you talk, I think about what would Max Scherzer Bel- say to that. Uh, I think it's. I think specifically, that's more about not showing frustration when it comes to pitchers than it yeah, is about showing being excited of a strikeout. Yeah. About yeah. letting them know that you don't have it today. Like that's one thing the hitter doesn't ever know is where the catcher set up, right? So like that fastball comes up and in, they're like, ah, they don't know the catcher set up outside. Well, they, depends well, what team we're talking about. Depends what team. You're right. <laughs> um, but, 
But the point is just that when you have when you show when we're talking oh, about yeah. a competition, anything you show outside of showing nothing can be used against you. We've heard, uh, uh, you know, when Bel- the, the clip of Belichick in the Super Bowl when he's watching the Seahawks, he doesn't use his timeout because he can tell they're flustered. That's different than maybe an emotion, but it is just everything you show can be used against you. And, and it can also be a waste of energy in times when you don't need to be wasting energy, whether as a player or a coach. When those games, as a, as a coach in a game, as the play caller, you need to be like max capacity mental energy. And players a little more physical and mental energy, a little more combined. But yeah. as a coach, I, I and there is a balance of – you know, Bill O'Brien would probably say he feels best when he's kind of on edge. It's when he's the most focused. And some people would say they're much more focused being completely calm. So every human is different. It's like you you can never – people always ask me about, like, scouting stuff with players. And, and I think the best advice I ever got, and I, I still, you know, media-wise, we still talk about it like we would be scouting in the sense of the way we talk about players and the way we watch players and the conversations we have – Every guy is a separate, you know, is their own story. And I, I think some guys, most guys, offensive coaches have operated very, very well in calmness historically. And defensive guys has been the opposite. But that doesn't mean, I mean, one knock on some of the, like the the Bill and Bill documentary when Lawrence Taylor's talking, they thought Belichick was kind of a pushover because he wasn't some screamer. And then they realized like two years in, they're like, this guy's the smartest motherfucker I've ever been around. He wasn't Rex and, Ryan, but but Rex is is really brilliant as a skier, yeah. right? He so just was different. Just, yeah, I, I think I don't it's remember just, Dick LeBeau was pretty mild mannered, right? At least that's the way he appeared on the sideline. Is that how you remember? Yeah, it? I, I, I think that's fair to say, but I, I think there would be a good example on Rex after two years of making back to back AFC Championship games as a wild card. And been wildly considered that decade as the best or one of the best defensive minds in the sport. He had beat Belichick, remember, on the road. That if we were doing this exercise in 2010, think of how we would have talked about Rex. Like, players love him. He's such a great defensive schemer. His philosophical belief of pounding the ball, running the football. We would have talked a lot about him like Pete Carroll. And it's just the, the lineage, lifetime football guy, his dad's known as like this genius for running the gets maybe should get more credit for the 85 bears. And this is what I get back to of like anyone can have a run a short period of time, have a run. It's about sustaining it over a long, anyone can start a podcast. Can you run it for five? Are you going to be there five years later or are you just going to do it for a year or two and just go on and off? And anyone can have a good, we've seen countless coaches, make the playoffs in football. Chip Kelly made the playoffs in football, hosted a playoff game. Now it feels like he's at UCLA and people think like, God, is this, where's his coaching career headed? And I, I think we're very, very confident that Kyle is not under that umbrella at all. Yep. He feels much more like a Sean Payton or an Andy Reid when those guys, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And he's also, unlike a Josh McDaniels, like he clearly can handle the job. He's not caught up on the stupid shit. It almost feels like it's too good to be true. Like, is this guy just gonna be one of the greats? You 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 usually can't become one of the greats if it doesn't start fast. 
Now you would say, well, it, that's different for Pete. Pete had two failed NFL. You know, there's exceptions, but usually these guys, you're like, God, how do they pull this off? When you get your shot. Make, when you get your shot. Yeah. Well, it's like, oh, they made three blockbuster movies in one year, right? But Bel- yeah. Belichick, you know, went to Cleveland for five yeah, years. No, I mean, I'm just saying, like, you can't win. You know, it's hard to be a six-time Super Bowl champ if you don't win your first one until your eighth year in the league as the head coach. It's just time adds fast. There's going to be a lot of failures. There's just, right? Like, Andy Reid didn't win a Super Bowl until, what, year, what is this for him? Year 20? Yeah, 21, I think. But he just won so much for so long that he put himself in a position where one Super Bowl is the thing that put him into the Hall of Fame without debate. To to me, one thing you have to consistently do if you're not going to win a ring to just be considered a top-notch guy is go to a lot of conference championship games. Yeah. Because you get credit for making the playoffs, but I do think you get a lot of juice for going to the conference championship games because that guarantees at minimum, if you've just won one game, that means you've won your division, right? If you've won multiple games, that means you're rallying off road playoff victories. So either way, you're like division champ, win a playoff game, get there, or like wild card fucking knocking people off. So if you do that consistently, like if Kyle doesn't win a Super Bowl the next five years, but in three of those five goes to three more NFC championship games, host some, win some road games. I'd say even two. Wouldn't you say John, uh, not John, Jim, I think why people around here hold him to such high regard, even as Michigan hasn't probably got, I mean, it just hasn't gone like I expected it to. And like most people thought how easily he'd kick everyone's ass. What he did with the Niners winning playoff games. And then that third year winning road playoff games is just think how hard that is. How many people win road playoff games? And it's one thing to win one, like Seattle, they won a road playoff game last year. Well, then they went to green Bay and got beat, you know, yeah. Well, Sean Payton, like you just host a first round playoff game, get beat. Playoffs are just hard. You to me, you get like one playoff victory is like six, seven victories worth of credit. Right? I I wonder how if Jim Harbaugh was still the coach of the 49ers, what would the last you know six years have looked like? You, know, you, you would Trent Balky would have been gone. Who would he have hired? I it's hard to tell. Yeah. Oh. What, what what I what I can't understand with Jim. Why can't he find a quarterback guy? Why, why can't he it's find a, just a Mac Jones? I know. Uh, uh, I know. Just who's the SC guy? That's the Keaton Slovis. Just something. That's you know? where I, if if JT Daniels transfers, I kind of want him to go there. He's in the transfer portal. I would love to see that. As a you and I both watch a lot of Harbaugh, but I don't know. It's a good question. I what I don't get is when Jim the last several years has played. Obviously, Ohio State, but Wisconsin and Penn State. Like, one of his calling cards was, you know, when he played the best, he just heavyweight fight, hit mm-hmm. him in the mouth. Now it's like you flip on Wisconsin, you're like, guy, he's down 28 nothing. What I the know. fuck's going on? I know. They just look, and they always look like chickens with their heads cut off. And, and then the draft happens, he has 10 guys drafted. So it's not like, yeah, they're just not getting NFL guys. He's crushing it in recruiting. I, I do think they need, the problem is Ohio State's talent is, and I know you're talking about Wisconsin, Penn State. Ohio State's talent is so, I think, superior to Michigan's. But see, I, 
then I heard Urban like a couple weeks ago talking about Donovan, Donovan Peoples Jones, yeah, who's who went how many broke in the th- sixth round. Who Urban said is the best high school receiver he'd ever seen. Wanted him to commit, flips last second, goes to Michigan, or maybe he was on the fence, and he's like, I, I don't know how this guy went in the sixth round. Wasn't he hurt we a lot in his him. career? He, yeah, like but I think issue? part of it is their their quarterback. I don't know where he's at now, but a, a week after the draft, Jim Harbaugh's quarterback was not even signed as an undrafted free agent. Like that, that can't happen. Who's his quarterback? Well, the dude that transferred from Ole Miss. Well, who's the guy that's been there the last? Oh, couple years? Shea Where's, Patterson. Yeah, yeah. But you're not shocked that he doesn't have a con. That you know. No, but that guy it. can't be. That guy can't be your quarterback after a year. Can't be it. Can't. Um, another 49ers discussion. Eric Armstead spoke to the media. Uh, what was that Wednesday? Yeah. And um, I'll read you a quote, something he said, and this is from the Barrows context. And then his quote, Armstead said that fostering Matt Barrows in the athletic Armstead said that fostering similar chemistry this season with the defensive line will be more difficult with no in-person work actually happening. But he said the 2019 49ers game tape is powerful enough to help shepherd along a youngster like Kinlaw Shepard. Good word Barrows quote. We can lead by example with film from last year, Armstead said. That's the standard and the example of how we want to play. Kinlaw can start going through that thought process of what it's supposed to look like. I expect him to have a big role on our team. What do you think of teaching Kinlaw with 2019 tape? Yeah, I'm just a big believer when you draft a guy into a position group that's really, really you know, heavily talented and pretty high character, you're in pretty good shape. I think the Giants made a you know, killing off this for a decade of just constantly doubling down and putting guys in kind of their biggest swing for the fence was JPP. And until he blew his hand off, I mean, he was a really good player with those guys. But just Tuck, OC, Strahan, Kiwanuka, they just kept, and it's just, you can't fail because a rising tide lifts all boats. Like, it's one thing to be like a corner and all the sweet dudes are on defensive line and you're kind of underperforming. You're not sitting with them every day in a meeting room when you just sit around those guys it's it's really hard to like how do you half-ass it when you're playing for a 68 win team warriors you know it's just it's it's impossible it's it's probably the argument for the warriors like why you just take a swing for the fences you think you have the infrastructure with these guys like they made the right move drafting kinlaw in theory when you base it on who they have to surround them with their defensive line coach uh, now it's easy to say you still need to do it and it's still on the guy, but you know, his biggest games last year were against the best opponents like Georgia Clemson. Uh, and you just feel really good about now. There's also, I, I push back on Armstead. Armstead really only did it for one year. Now I think he had been playing pretty hard for a couple years, but you know, he just got paid. I, I, are we just, off there's no pressure on him to just like no. he's got to keep playing well, yeah you know he needs Kinlaw to be good right and he needs to help yeah. him be better I'd forgotten by the way the year they drafted JPP their you know their second round pick was that year Linval Joseph pretty good draft pretty 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 good now they also took Matt Dodge with the seventh uh round pick remember uh speaking of coaches that used to scream he punted. Not, not he punted to uh, Deshaun, and uh, Tom Coughlin gave him. That was Dodge, right? That was the punter that, that punted to Deshaun, Dodge, yeah. and 
Supposed to kick it out of bounds? Kicked it right to him? And Coughlin was just screwing. And he was giving, I don't, I don't know. Coughlin wouldn't let it go. But no, you're right. I mean, part of this is on, like Armstead, one of the things he said was, when I signed the contract, I was fired up to be playing alongside DeForest Buckner. And then, boom, Buckner was gone. Uh, and I, I got to think, he doesn't say this, but you're right. I didn't really quite think of it in those terms. I, I wonder if the second Buckner's gone, at first he's like, God, they, nobody, it totally natural to be like, nobody told me they were going to do this. But, you know, the money had to come from somewhere. But I do wonder if the other part you think is just, all right, my job just got a little more difficult. But that's why they're paying me is because they think I can get better. Like part of what happens when people start getting paid on your team is they, you are counting on them to, to get better. You're counting on Debo Samuel to get better this year with, you know, play like the guy he was when Emmanuel Sanders was there, but without Emmanuel Sanders this year. Like that's part of what you need if you're Kyle Shanahan. I, I think the good thing is with Armstead specifically – is you go, well, he, he didn't overachieve or anything, right? He was a top, he was a first-round pick. I think they traded back a couple spots. Maybe it was at 16 or 17. But he was, physically, he's a top 10 talent, right? He's 6'7", 290, moves like a fucking freak, blue chipper, just physically, just his physical attributes. And then you see him playing, you're like, well, he's pretty unblockable when he tries. And I think he's really tried these last couple years that you go, well, if he can just stay healthy, which was a knock on him early, yeah. you think, but you never – I guess the good part for him is not like he was ma- – he was a first-round pick, so he was making millions of dollars. It's not like he had been making 700, 700, 700 grand. I guess now this is a lot more money than he's ever made. Uh, like Buckner is a good example. Buckner was the seventh pick in the draft, was making huge cash. I would expect nothing to change with him in the Indy. DeForest Buckner, when he plays for the Colts, will look exactly like DeForest Buckner's looked the last four years for the Niners. It will be plug and play the same thing. I think we assume that with Armstead, and I'm pretty confident just because of the coaching staff still in place, all the players around, you know, Warner to Sherman to just Jimmy Ward, like their nucleus, and it's just the standard is the standard now, which so I, I think sometimes we, we expect everyone to kind of be a leader. You know, in, in the majority of humans, whether you're on a football team, whether you're in an office, like you're just, and I'm going to say that it's going to sound bad. It's not meaning to be a bad word as a follower. Yeah. You just need someone to go and you follow them. Right. And if you're talented, if you're a follower, you're in, you can make your company a lot of money. You can fucking sack the quarterback. You can do whatever you need. No, I, I think it's true. And I think you need both. You probably need both kinds on a team. You need people whose strengths make up for other people's weaknesses and vice versa. Um, I think two things on Armstead. One would be, to, you're right. I mean, the injuries, there were years two and three, he was not on the field a lot. Year four, he plays 16 games and is clearly better. It's the best year that he's had to that point. And then year five, he plays 16 games again and gets significantly better. You could argue maybe there is something now at this point in his career where Buckner goes away and it just he's forced to kind of elevate himself a little bit. Um. In a time, of, and, and, and he was making decent. Like, no, you're I right. Forgot he, was, the, he was on the fifth year option, so now he's playing for a free agent deal, right? But, but he was making double digit. He was making eleven and a half million dollars, I think, or twelve. Maybe the pressure you feel when all of a sudden DeForest gets traded and you're getting a lot of money is good in a scenario like we have this year, where there is going to be a little more. Uh, there's just play, your own personal accountability matters more to your physical condition than it would otherwise because of the fact that you can't be with your team. I, I think Armstead, probably in recent memory, the last couple of years, is one of the more controversial 
fifth-year option pickups, like when they did it, I mean, I was critical of it. But I think for the most part, if you follow the NFL, it was like, well, they did what? It, it was a little out of left field, I, I think. Yeah. Uh, and what I, well, what I would imagine they'd tell you, why they feel even more confident signing him to this deal and the way everything played out is when we did that, we obviously had talks with him. He knew the, the pressure that was going to be on him, and he, he answered the bell for the next 24 months every step of the way. Right, that fourth year after he had had his fifth year option picked up, he was he had the best year of his career, and then last year he was a star. You know, I mean, he was he was a dominant player. He, he was as a buddy of mine that you know wrote up the Niners this year said Buckner might be a better overall player just because every snap you know what you're getting, but his high end when he would make a play, he would do stuff that Buckner he's a little twitchier, just probably a slightly better athlete. Uh, doesn't like DeForest part of DeForest's game. There's nothing wrong with this is just really dependent on an effort. Like his effort yeah. is max just 100 out of a hundred. But I mean, that's not a bad, like JJ Watts. That's the a same skill way. Effort's yeah, a skill, it, right? It is a skill. And I think Armstead's over the year could be hit or miss. Well, the last two years he's played his ass off and he's probably just a little more physically gifted. And it's like, cause sometimes he comes around the corner. He's just so long. Right. Well, I mean, like even Clowney. You know, Clowney's a little stiff and this and and I get why teams would struggle to pay him eighty million dollars or whatever. There is no disputing when Clowney makes a play, you go, "Oh my god!" Well, if the only tape that existed was Clowney's first game against the Forty ers he'd be signed already and be one of the top ten oh. paid players in the NFL. If you're like, yeah, he does this twelve, you know, games a year. Yeah, you'd be like, uh, how much? That's a that's a bargain. Uh. Blake Snell's not having it, John. Blake Snell playing video games on Twitch, where every player gets in trouble these days. Every athlete. He's not. He refuses, John, to play baseball and not make shit, get taxed, and put his life at risk for the Rona. This is why I saw this. I saw his whole thing, and I was like, "This is why you and I talked about this last. Uh, I guess the beginning of this week, when the owners." approve their deal and everyone's like no 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 no. the players haven't approved it yet and you and I both talked and said if they don't play baseball if there is an agreement July 1st they can be on the field but the players don't get out there because they don't actually have a contract agreement it's just they're you know the local governments would allow them to play but they're not playing it's the players that are going to get blamed not the owners and there's one most basic reason because the owners don't say stupid shit by and large and this is a tried and true formula in the history of ownership most owners are not Mark Cuban or Joe Lacob. Most owners don't say – most owners are Stan Kroenke. You don't even know what they sound like. You can't even think of a time you heard him talk. I have no clue what Stan Kroenke sounds like. Do Is you? it because he doesn't talk? Is it because he's a hermit? No and no. That's not Did why. You know what Paul, do you know what Paul Allen sounded like? The late great? Uh, no, nah, I know what Portland he looked Trailblade. like. I, ne- I never heard him talk. I knew what he looked like, too. Never heard him talk. But the less you talk – the less people just put you into the, the less you go into the media cycle and everyone's talking about what you say, the less stupid stuff you say when you say nothing. Do you think you and I talked about this a little bit off air and you've always had a good take on the owners versus the players. Is that a conversation in the real world? Like why do all the fans support owners? No. Or is that a social no. media conversation? That, well, it's, it's a thing where the media, and this is not even critical. I just think the media knows Fans don't know owners. Fans don't see owners. Fans don't care about owners. Fans are just 
the owners are a part if you're covering a team, the economics, all these little things. That's just like part of what you cover. The G, the GM or the coach tells you as a media member yes. some shit about your owner. That's right. You've heard some shady You just things. know like, oh, this guy's a control freak or he's cheap. Or like fans don't, by and large, unless players are not, unless like a team doesn't sign free agents, fans don't really know if their owner's cheap or not, right? And, and even that, like if I'm 30 years old, and I'm born and raised in New York. I let's just say these are my, you know, not even the Knicks, but I'm I'm a Giants and Yankees fan. What am I rooting for fundamentally, right? For the my Giants team. and the Yankees to win right. fucking games. So yes. when players complain or or they'll say I'm getting screwed or I want to trade, I am going to tend to support a guy, my team, my team like, not the owner, my team. Now there are going to be individual instances where a guy on your team plays for like ten years, and then one year you go like, God, they're lowballing CC Sabathia. Right. That's my dude, right. yeah, for sure. But on the whole, it takes CC or for a Niner example, like a George Kittle, a guy several years to build some equity with you as a fan, and then you're like, I got that guy's back. Yeah. I fucking watched him play, bust his ass. Like, it's why Warriors fans, you know, Draymond says some dumb shit. The Draymond-Charles Barkley argument is the dumbest fucking argument in the history of arguments. They are not comparable players the way it gets talked about on Twitter. And Draymond's a great, maybe the greatest role player in the history of championship teams. He's unreal. Comparing him to Charles Barkley is laughable. But, like... The first reaction times from Warriors fans like, just got Draymond's back. What? He's earned that right for you as a fan. But at the end of the day, if Draymond starts going, talking shit about the war. And the other thing, what does Draymond do? He gets on Kevin Durant. Why? Because Kevin is not committing to the Warriors. He's like pro-Warrior. So you just, you're pro-Warrior. And I and I see these people on the media, like their, their go-to is the owners versus the players. The majority of fans, the heavy majority, just want like... If I'm in L.A., I want the Lakers to be good. I want the Dodgers to be good. Whatever it takes for us to be good. That's my number one goal as a fan. Then hopefully, organically, I'll end up liking some of the guys, and I'll just be, they'll just become part of my life as a fan. And, you know, I hope I can have, you know, the next Kobe. But you already know if you're a Laker fan, you're like, yeah, LeBron's never going to equal that, but I'm rooting for him to win a championship. But I know, like, he could fucking leave me in a couple years. Like, I, this is a short-term relationship. I'm not looking at it like it's just not that complicated of a conversation that on social media gets very complicated that in the real world, that conversation never comes yeah. up. You're rooting for the team to be good. Right. I think, I think there's three basic reasons that, it, or, that that's the or, dynamic. Or, or in this situation, if you're a baseball fan, because let's say the Rays have the smallest fan base in America. If I see this and I'm a Cardinals fan, if I'm a Dodger fan, if I'm an Angel fan, if I'm a Giants fan, and I want baseball to come back, I'm going to hate this. And it's very understandable why a casual baseball fan will clown this guy for saying this. Well, there's no good way to complain about being rich, even if you're right, publicly, right? Like, even if you're right and the deal is unfair to the players, he might be right. But you can't say, I ain't making shit when you have a five-year, $50 million contract. You just... you you. I, well, let me let me rephrase this. You can say it. You're just not going to win a, a publicity, PR, fan support battle when you say that. Because there's some basic things that come into this, John. I'd say three things. One, what you said. Team over individual. I, as the fan, 
on the balance of all the arguments, we'll take my team side. It doesn't mean that if the Warriors one day trade Draymond, that all the Warrior fans won't be pissed at the Warriors over that. They might be. But that's because he has made himself part of the fabric of the team. So that's number one. Number two, again, it sounds dumb, but this is part of the basic. What do you hear fans say all the time? I'd play for less. I'd play for free. He should wish that he, you know, or he should be thankful he doesn't have my job working year-round, making pennies to what his dollars are, and breaking your back, right? Like, that's just a basic fan sentiment, which, of course, it is. Everyone grew up wanting to be a player. So that's the way that gets viewed. Again, fair or not, that's just the deal. And then the third thing is just the emotion of when you say words, you're going to get caught up in the soap opera, the whole thing. Like, owners are unique because imagine, like, the, the, the TV show Friends, right? What is it, five key six six key characters and people argue this is my favorite character that's the best character that's the character i hate whatever owners are like the character that you barely ever see in the show but they control the whole storyline of the show so they're 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 unique fans don't hate owners unless they are cheap in free agency or they move a team that's basically the only reason to ever talk about a fan uh, uh, an owner if the team sucks because you know like jed york fires jim harbaugh nobody takes his side why well, partly because Jim Harbaugh was winning and everyone loved, as a fan, Jim Harbaugh. It really wasn't a complicated formula. He hires Chip Kelly, it fails. He hires Jim Tom Sula, it fails. He has to talk a lot, he's awful. He hires Kyle Shanahan, it's great. He doesn't talk as much, he's turned the corner. I, probably nothing really changed. But he's just not in the script every day like players are. Yeah, I, I also think when you talk about the money issue is now more than ever, we've almost become numb to numbers. You'd be like, damn, the dude's only making $50 million? Right. That's like a casual fan. Yeah. I, d- I think the timing when you talk like that, and this is where the That's players... I'll get th- the NBA players have been pretty quiet. We got 20% unemployment. Everyone and their fucking mother is taking pay cuts, is losing business, is getting their ass handed to them. And this guy, while he's playing video games at his fucking house, is talking like this. I'm offended by saying uh, I should be scared for my life because the statistics show you're not your life is not in well, danger. Well, he said a month. He said a month and a half. He said a month and a half ago. If I get it, I get it. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I I just think this guy. I, I I don't put much stock into what this guy says. Also, like I would expect him when they start playing again. Like, are they not going to play because? He doesn't want to play. Well, see, that's a it's a you you go down an interesting road here because. I don't actually care about what Blake Snell says or like these just like none of this doesn't actually matter from a PR standpoint. It's irrelevant. It's it's only relevant to the discussion. Which side is every going to everybody going to be on if they don't play and the players really hurt themselves and the pressure will be on them if they're not playing because more and more players say stuff like this because that's how they feel. Where, where, where the do owners you don't give anybody on- any ammo. Where do you fall on, like, let's say the last, let's use the last 10 years as an example. If I sign all the players of the contracts they've been making, well, I don't give them more money when our revenues were way higher than we expected. Right. 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 And, and that's just something I always see from like the Florios. Well, the owners never give everyone a raise when business goes up 50% from what they had projected. My counter is always like, well, how many big contracts in baseball underperform? Those guys never give a fucking... No one on the Giants have given a penny back. It goes two ways. Like, it's a two-way street. 
I, I've said this for a while, and I truly believe this. The greatest two deals in world history from a partnership employment standpoint happen in basketball and baseball once the contract is signed. If you sign a big contract, even at Snell's $50 million, obviously the high ends like Harper or Steph or LeBron, even Kevin Durant, uh, you know, Jeff Samarja, Buster Posey, whatever. The moment that ink is dry, you have you have no liability. None. You have to literally break a law which would void any contract or whatever, right? Kill someone or do something insane. But you're, the only liability you have as a player in general, right? And that's what NFL players will tell you nonstop is our injury risks are so high in our sport, but we're also kind of living, most of us, even the good players – for the most part, year to year. Sometimes you get a little bit two-year security, but the 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 the, uh, the Saints draft the dude from Michigan, Ruiz, in the first round, Larry Warford, who has made three straight Pro Bowls Wat- Watford, for the right? Saints. Larry Warford, Warford, whatever, the guard. Yeah. Three straight Pro Bowls. Three straight Pro Bowls. They cut him. He's just a free agent right now. Three fucking straight Pro Bowls. Also put in, when I was Googling it, once I saw it, kind of read the story, I was like, how do the Lions let so many good players go to other teams that they draft and then they become good players? That's an internal issue they got to figure out. But in, You're right, by the way, like, Warford. Do you agree with I, me I in baseball, though, like, and, and basketball? The moment that deal signed, I can blow up my knee. The only liability I have as a player, because I don't have to worry about travel, I don't have to worry about getting sued, I don't have to worry about anything as a player, is my, is my health. In my health, I'm protected because the contract's fully guaranteed. It's like it does. It's it's as good as you could possibly get, and in the history of business, it doesn't get any better. So, because usually both sides bear some liability, the player wants the guaranteed contract. Buster Posey could never walk, like he could blow off his foot tomorrow, as long as he didn't do it personally. But you know, whatever, break his foot so he couldn't walk anymore. It doesn't. He's going to see every penny he's owed. So you're you're asking, am I on the player's side? You you were you started that with where do I fall? I I I just push back on that the owners are always the only they're taking all the liability, but the players get off too because once you sign the contract, you are recession proof in the sense whether you're good or bad, it's irrelevant yeah, I mean, moving forward. So in, no, ba- right. in basketball I mean, and baseball, Blake football Snell, does not parallel. Blake Snell would say if I was a free agent, I just I want to Cy Young two years ago with a I was incredible, I'd be making way more than fit. I'm like Blake Snell might think rightly so the system is holding is suppressing his value and has suppressed his value right to this point and i and i'd push back and go blake we live in america no one forced you to sign that early deal you could have written well it yeah out. i mean sure that's true but I, I i would understand like if the system was like i i'm no i, I my, my option here is play out four more years at a minor league contract basically but but now we're getting like we're diving deep. No no I know the, I'm just saying that I, I would get why I, that's I, I, their system's fucked up. Yeah I, I'm just saying I get why that's part of the mindset for this individual player. It's like the contract I signed is a bullshit contract to begin with, relative to the way the baseball happens. Um, I think a lot of this is that this is exactly the thing that the players have been fighting to avoid. This is why they they struck in '94 is they don't want a salary cap. And I think they're afraid they allow this to happen now. It's going to be hard to, to ever go back, which I don't think it'd be as hard to go back. See, that's where I push back and go, guys, 
just just open your eyes and look what's going on. Unless there's been some undertones that I, because I don't follow baseball, like deep nitty gritty, like Jeff Passan on the day, like have they been pushing for a salary cap? I, I haven't read that anywhere. It just seems pretty it's logical. It's just always the thing that the owners are trying to do. But the CBA's been signed. Like they're kind, they were already might going to strike anyway in a, in a year because the CBA was coming up. But my point is it's understandable why they are in this situation. Sure. And I think when I heard Scott Boris say, well, the owners came to us two months ago at the you know middle or toward the end of March to do this deal, and I'd push back and say, Scott, a lot has changed since then. They were trying to be proactive. I think we all thought this wasn't going to last as long in terms of quarantine, and it's just it's gotten worse. And economically, clearly now it's even crazier. That it's un like I just think it's understandable. I, oh, it I, feels like the players act like this kind of out of left field or something. It's like guys. Do you guys not see what's going on in the world? Yeah, this is not the deal I signed. Yeah, no one's making the deal they signed up for. No, none of us are. We're all getting hurt relatively. That's why it's like I, I think these guys in basketball has kind of realized this going back and we act like the pro sports are recession proof. Well, they ain't pandemic fucking proof. That's for damn sure because the pandemic is hitting everyone like a tornado, including these baseball. You know, it just takes a much baseball. bigger tornado. But yeah. Which is very, very dependent, as we've learned, on fan revenue. Which shocker, you, you know, indirectly, right? Because they don't do the BRI, like they don't spread the revenue they, with no salary cap, like basketball and football does. But indirectly, it does pay for them. Right? Well, their their national revenues get spread out, get shared equally among all the teams. Their national TV deals, their na- their merchandising deals, all that stuff. Now, you might have, you might have a. I think the Dodgers local TV contracts 250 a year and the Rays or the Marlins is like 20 a year. Okay. You're well, saying the Dodgers is 250 million dollars a year? Yeah, or maybe just maybe it's 250 overall and it's it might be 20 a year. Whatever it is, it's several times. Well, theirs is like 8. Well, I think that yeah. 250 a year I think sounds. Like, yeah, I I think it's like 20 or 25. I think the yeah, big boys that, like the Yankees yeah, and right. Red Sox and Giants so or teams like the Rays and the A's are like nine hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So there's his twenty million two fifty over the life of, life of the deal is the comparison. Okay, but the you know and then ticket sales obviously are. I he wrote thirty percent. Somebody wrote the other day thirty to forty. But whatever, it's a lot of, it's a big percentage. Yeah. So unprecedented time. But un, un, my, my point uh, is though, like compromise. The Yankees make a lot of money on. Television revenue, I'm sure, probably the most, like them, the Red Sox, the Cubs, whoever. All the, I mean, the teams we all know, the Cardinals. They still probably depend on a percentage of the revenue that comes through the gate to pay for fucking Paul Goldschmidt or Aaron Judge or whoever, right? Or Clayton Kershaw, like that. That money is still, it's all in the same pot that gets distributed. The pro sports expenses, guy, are by far the most because their payroll is. Higher than any payroll in America. It's their biggest like maybe expense. Disney's yeah. is, but they have five hundred thousand employees. Where you are dependent on these twenty five players that you're, pay- which you do pay for. Which you, I don't know. Ideally, if you'd want to pay them that much, but you do, and it and it works well. When everything changes, these guys have to be, or just maybe he doesn't want to play this year. That's fine. Then just don't play. But he don't. The media, I think, will naturally kind of gravitate toward him. I, I haven't really followed this story that close because I don't want to get worked up on. Well, this. he just he to me he is so overt with his language, right? He he is it's such a clueless quote. 
again, you cannot like the owner's deal. And you can say, you guys don't understand. They're trying to screw us. But they, they, you guys don't understand how much they're trying to screw us. Fine. But that can be your stance. But you just, as someone who doesn't care what anybody says, I'm in that boat. I think you're in that boat too. Like, I don't actually care about Blake Snell's comments here. They're just clueless, whatever. People say dumb shit sometimes. I don't care. But if you're not going to play, and the only quotes out there are, well, the owners, uh, they've got a deal they're ready to roll. And the players, quote, ah, I'm making shit. Like, you're just not winning that. And then don't don't get on Twitter and wonder why the fans are not on your side, even though it, the owners are way richer than you guys. Just and, don't, and don't wonder de- that. And I will defend him on this. Let's say... I own this podcast and I pay you and I'm paying you a hundred thousand dollars and the pandemic hits and I go, guy, you're going to have to take a 25% pay cut or vice or the situation's reverse. Same thing. Our first reaction when either one of us says you're going to have to take a pay cut is every human's first reaction. Like, even if we understand like these are crazy ass times is going to be like, nah, or just thinking in my head. I hope he doesn't ask me to take a pay cut. I hope he doesn't. I don't want to take a pay cut. I don't want to take a pay cut. Like, I understand it, when someone comes to you and goes, you have to take a pay cut, going, ugh, not wanting to do that. I get that. That's oh, that's my reaction, your reaction. Everyone internally would have that reaction. But then as we go, because part of it is he's getting paid right now, that small percentage. You see those numbers that were floated yesterday, the low-end guys making like $275 a day. The Harpers of the world are making like $4,700 a day of like their unemployment fund or whatever. So he's getting some money, but nowhere near the normal money. They're all getting paid out of, yeah, yeah. That I just go, you guys are are, like you're already getting hit. So, so you're factoring in Blake. I think you're so rich that a guy like uh, um, um, Matt Chapman, who's getting the two seventy five, might go, "Fuck, I want to play so I can get at least more money than what I'm making right now." And I want one more year closer to free agency. That's the other thing. But Um, but I think they're going to get that no matter what, right? Well, I don't. If they the don't own, play at all, the the owners gave that to them. That was well, that's part right because Mookie's going to be a free agent. Yeah, yeah. Um, so your scenario where you're making a hundred thousand dollars, or what did you say? The podcast. Yeah. I, I, we're I each making a hundred thousand dollars off the podcast. I've got to take twenty five percent pay cut. In that scenario, from the baseball standpoint, my reaction would be if I'm a play, if I'm applying their concerns to that situation, I would say, well. You're paying me $100,000. I don't really even trust that we're making $200, $200,000 a year and splitting it evenly, right? That's part of baseball. Players' side is, I think you might be making more money than you're telling me you're making, and that my cut isn't actually 50% anyway, and that you would, and that you're still making your money. Like you're saying, I got to take 25% because we're going to make less, but I think you're still going to make, you're still going to profit if you paid me a hundred thousand dollars and that's seems to be kind of that's where that's so much that's where yeah that's where okay if we are going to go to the revenue sharing it's only fair to go you have to open the books because if i want to if we got to take pay cuts and we say we're doing a 50 50 that's only fair because that's not the agreement before which i understand on their side like this is a complicated issue overall back to the main point of this conversation is it's 100% clear why the majority of fans are going to find this fucking laughable. Yeah. Uh, last thing, Cowherd tweeted the other day, he talked about this, scheduling changes. And Feinbaum, he said that SC Alabama is not going to happen. Feinbaum followed up and said he thinks Alabama and TCU are talking because TCU plays Cal. 
uh, the AD at USC said nothing's been decided yet. But the the scenarios where the schedules are going to change is a very real scenario for college football. And spe- I mean, th- this is ticket sales in college football are massive parts of not just football budgets, but athletic department budgets in total, right? I mean, you just think. I almost called him Bone Arena. The uh, that's what Spiroditas calls him on Twitter. The new Mike Petros Bone. Papadakis. Petros Papadakis. Yeah. Um, what I call him Spiroditas. Wrong. Spiroditas. Wrong, uh, wrong Greek guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I I think um, Gene Smith, the AD at Ohio State, said the other day, I think that they make like seven million dollars a home game. On ticket sales, just on a home game, right? Whole, so ticket sales deal. plus everything gotcha. else. So when they, when they pay, you know, UC Davis to come and they cut them that $800,000 check, they're, they're making so much more on top of that. It, it's an easy check to cut. Yeah, it, That's where it does behoove you to play more home games. Like, no wonder Alabama doesn't go on the road. It's right. Too, and, and that would be the, like, the financial incentive to stay home is too great. Yeah, have they? That's where it would behoove, which I do give teams credit to do the sweet home and homes, where maybe – it's like okay, we'll each cut each other in like one point five million or something. Like if I'm Michigan and Ohio State, and I'm coming to Oregon and Washington, we do a bigger financial deal, so it makes sense for both of us, and also just good for the sport. But as an individual, good for recruiting campus, do you, yeah, there's a balance to it. But you do we're giving up a lot of money. I think one of the reasons they've been doing it right is just it's so. If my season ticket sales are sold, so. I'm Alabama. I'm playing Howard University. We used to say, well, who cares? Those tickets are sold anyway. It's all the same. But if a bunch of those people don't show up because it's Howard University, you do lose a lot of money on your your parking, parking, on concession, your yeah. concessions on your right. And so I think that's part, the the more the more it becomes a challenge to get people to stadiums because TV is obviously easier and certainly cheaper. The more teams have to do stuff like that. Um, well, I, the, to me, the polarizing part of this quote, though, was just it was on the heels of some of the information coming out of L.A. County that they were going to lock down, and it feels like they're not going to be able to practice. Uh, I saw yeah, Oregon. Collins' point. I, you're right. Collins' point was if Alabama has three more weeks of practice, this is one of the greatest scheduling changes in the history of the sport for USC. You don't want to play yeah, Alabama not, with 20 more practices well, under the belt. You can't. S- someone I, – I was going to try to go to the Oregon-Ohio State. Was Ohio State or Michigan? And it's Washington, Ohio Michigan. State, yeah. Well, I think Oregon just put something through September, no large gatherings. Mm-hmm. So that game, it's definitely, I mean, at minimum, no fans. So I, I think there's just a lot of influx on the West Coast with the way the states are handling everything, where it's pretty clear the SEC isn't just playing football. Like, training camps are starting when training camps start for them, right? It, it wouldn't shock me if by midsummer all the players are back with the strength coaches working out. So it's just they're on a different timeline right now, which I also get keep pushing back that go, well, it's only what's what's the date? May 14th. Yeah. I mean, there's still a lot of unknown and it may turn out on the West Coast that nothing actually ends up changing. Yeah. But I think there if you're Alabama, you can't really risk that if you want to play an opening game. I yeah, I do think one thing. I think we'll see some regionalization. Now, does that mean non-conference regionalization? Or, like, I think one cool thing that could happen, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I think if everybody ended up playing only conference games, I think that would be 
in some it'd be something that ultimately benefits the sport because I think conference games the regular season just has lost a little for most teams conference championships are only valued in the context of do they get me to the CFP really the only non-CFP bowl game that really gets any attention anymore is the Rose Bowl and the CFP has been great for college football but I do think Kind of what, what are the non-conference big matchups like Auburn, Oregon, or something? Yeah, like those that. those are awesome. Those are you're you're saying though it's kind of proven you don't need to play that. Uh, I think teams are playing more of those now. I think we're seeing yeah. more of it. I'm just saying those games only matter now in the context of the college football playoff. Yeah, and the college football playoff has been good, but it's also made everything else feel like it means a little less, and that's not good for the sport. But the regular season still meant a lot. The, the regular season means a lot, but the problem is, like, if you have two losses, all of a sudden it's like, well, what are you playing oh, yeah, for? You're, I, I, I hear you it. know what I mean? And it's just like yeah. playing in the Cotton Bowl is less cool. Playing in the Sugar Bowl just feels like – I feel like all these games, it's like, man, one of these teams doesn't want to be there. It's just weird. Well, yeah, the depending on your conference, even if you have two losses, like let's say next year LSU starts like four and two. They are still going to be playing like opponents that have a lot to play for. So if like if you're, a, you know, last year like Arizona State, what were they playing for? But when Oregon came to Arizona State, it was a huge game for them, right? right to try to fucking take down this big bad wolf. Yeah, but so only I, because it's still it was college a football kind of. But thing. it's but I I would say the one the one thing I'd push back a little bit on, like at Fresno State when I was there for two years, did any of our games really matter? <laughs> you know. In See, the grand scheme did. of things? But, but that's my point, is in the grand playoff scheme, no. But they did matter. They did. They, I feel like those games between like a couple eight and three teams used to matter more. Or just but that's feel what I'm like saying. they that's mattered what, more. See, I, I, I'd push so. back and go, how many teams when the year starts really think they're going to the, to the college football playoff? Like 10? Every else is just kind of playing to try to win like nine or 10 games and be like a legit college football program. And if you're a... 20 year old guy if you're at utah well that's a bad example because they were kind of in the mix last year but like uh iowa state or whatever like every it's a big deal for just you don't play that many games in football that's why i I do think every time that you wake up saturday morning i mean some weeks are better than others but for the most part you watch teams they just play very hard against other teams it's just and we talk about this in the nfl all the time just the nature of the sport you only get so many swings you're like well i fucking practice all week and got screamed at by my coach I might as well try today. I mean, the games are kind of fun. Yeah, I think they matter to the players and the programs and the fans. I'm just saying, like, on the balance, big-picture college football, just everything has become a little bit more narrow. Um, I think we probably – my guess – I don't know. This is just me half-talking on my ass. My guess is maybe rivalry games don't feel like they matter as much to the big picture as they used to. I just think everything is so focused on the CFP – that, for the for the for the main teams though, right? Like, let's even use the Pac-12 example. Who is really t- thinking CFP out west right now? Oregon. Oregon. In the in the Big Ten. Ohio State clearly. They might have more, right? That you'd say Wisconsin, Penn State probably think we got a shot, mm-hmm. and Michigan in theory thinks that, but it's it's not. Like uh, Minnesota last year yeah, for a minute. No, Michigan State. You know, but Minnesota, like just being trying to get ranked in the top twenty is a big. You know, it's like every program. 
I, I I still think there's a lot of juice to it. I'm with you. There, there are when you're when you're a team to me where you lose it if you're like, if you're like Oregon or like an Alabama and then you get that second loss by the middle of October, then it creates a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. But most programs to me are not the New England Patriots or Alabama standard in football. Right. So you every every game like every game should mean a lot to Auburn. Just like even before this year for LSU, yeah. like every game meant a lot to LSU. Now, I still think it will because they lost so many guys. You'd say Clemson, Ohio State, and like Alabama are just kind of in their own little tier of just if they were to lose two games before like week 14, it'd be a disaster. I, I just don't know if anyone else really falls under that category. Yeah, you're probably right. I, I just, as someone who's been opposed to the expansion of the CFP, I've kind of changed my mind a little bit. I'm okay opening it up a little more just because I see now how much the general college football conversation is just focused on the playoff. Well, I I think part of the problem is when you only have four teams, just off the bat, well, you have five major conferences. So someone's automatically getting left out. So think about... Or two. Yeah, a lot of years too. Think about like playoffs in, let's just use the NFL. Every division's getting a team. And with wild card, several multiple divisions, even before the new expansion, have been getting multiple teams. So, like, your team, in theory, has a shot. Think about the NCAA tournament. When does a, a conference is automatically gifted a bid, right, just in the sense of the conference tournament, let alone the Power Fives are typically getting in several teams, right? Well, the, that's that's the knock I would have on the college football playoff is – you're, you just go on a Final Four. Well, you have five major conferences. So it's just, you're already getting fought. You could argue they should have started at like six. Yeah. Right? Because someone, for the, I, I, it feels like it for the last five or six years, they've gotten it right for the most part. But we've just come to grips with like, yeah, you know, and it feels like more often than not, like the Pac-12 or, you know, what's another, I guess the Big 12's been left out before. You're just gonna get left out, and that shouldn't be the case. I, you know, mm-hmm. just talking it out. I, I haven't spent that much time thinking on it, but that that, that would be my pushback. It, it should have started. Say every conference should have a team. I uh, think the because pro- because part of college sports, and I think the basketball and fuck, we saw it when we were at Fresno State and they won the whole thing. Is this is college sports? Like every team's got a shot. Yeah, if you just get to the dance. I think part of the challenge, right, is you've got to, now you're removing other bowl games. I'm I'm for it, but now are we expanding schedules? Are we making college players play more games before they've, you know, are are we adding weeks to, I mean, we have added weeks to their schedules, but I think it was just an easy thing to do. Let's just keep this as small as possible. Let's just see what it does. And obviously it blows up, and I, I don't see how they don't expand it. Because the college football playoff has been really – the SEC's benefited the most. I mean, they've had the best team over the decade. They've won the most titles. But they've also had several years they got several multiple teams in. I think the ACC, because of Florida State and Clemson, and the Big Ten with Ohio State have benefited. Yeah. And then you'd say the Big 12 has been hit or miss, and Pac-12 has benefited the least. Right. What, how many years the Pac-12 has gotten two teams in? The Mariota team in, in Washington, or am I, is there one other team? The Mariota team, I thought Oregon went. Tw- I thought there was a third. When did the college football playoff start? 13 or 12? Yeah, it was the Jameis Mariota year. It feels like since then they've only got one yeah, other, maybe which it is would just be Chris Peterson. 
And that's been financially, it's really lucrative to go, right? Uh, so 1450, the 15-year was the first one. Oregon was there. UW they in 17. Yeah. That's so it. it's just... Uh, one more thing real quick. Sunday morning. Yeah. Live sports. 11 a.m. Pacific. NBC Golf Channel. NBC Sports Network. Ricky Fowl. Do you know who the number one player in the world is right now in golf? Kepka? Justin Thomas? I, no, I don't. Rory. I wouldn't have guessed that if I wasn't reading it right here. So Rory, he 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 he's played pretty well the last couple of years. Rory and Dustin against uh, Ricky Fowler and uh, Matthew Wolf. Skins game. First six holes, John, are worth fifty thousand each. Holes seven through sixteen are worth a hundred thousand dollars each. Hole seventeen is worth two hundred thousand dollars, and the eighteenth uh, hole is worth five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> each team begins with half a million dollars. So I don't know what happens if you. So if you lose the first six holes, do, do they you're down do you, three hundred thousand? Do you see the format they're playing? Does it say? What do you? Oh, um, is it match play, alternate shot, play your own ball? Yeah, you play your own ball. Okay, well, I, I looked to see if we could gamble on this on my bookie. You can't, depending on where you live. Like in California, you can't gamble through DraftKings, but. Depend like Indiana, certain states you can. There are some pretty good bets. I, the one team's a clear underdog, which would be Ricky Fowler and Matt Wolf. Yeah, I would bet on the underdog. Just these guys haven't been playing competitively. You saw that. I mean, I, I within the last month, Justin Thomas tweeted out a picture. He's like, I went low today, and I still got my ass kicked. And he lost. Ricky Fowler shot sixty. Like these. Like if you if you could just pick up like Stevie Francis on to the Y, he dominate. Like Ricky Fowler, pick up golf. Is a dominant what, player. What do you think the the do you think they're uh what what will be the rustiest part of a golf game right now? The putting, the driving, the irons? Because part yeah, of me I'd thinks say short, I, I'd say short game. Part of me just thinks Ricky Ricky may being the best putter out there might just be a skill that translates even through you know lack of normalcy. And I Word there would I be like lately. how much truly have you been playing? You know, I mean, if you right when the season ended, these guys were pretty locked in, right? They're kind of ready to make the the major stretch, like they were kind of like picking up steam, and then it just ends. Uh, I think was it the Players Championship, wherever they fucking. I mean, it was a big deal. I think it was the Players Championship. It just ended. That you go, there's just so much unknown. Like, how much has Kepka been playing golf? Now, maybe because if you go, well, if you found out the PGA Tour was coming back. You know, a month ago, you'd go, I'm going to need a month to start locking in. So you kind of pick a day to really, every day I'm going to go for three or four hours. There might have been a stretch for a couple weeks where I think I saw Kepka say he didn't do shit. I would put Dustin Johnson probably in the I didn't do shit for a long period of time. If you know you're not going to be playing for months competitively, you're like, it is somewhat of a vacation. Yeah. Especially once you start seeing and hearing all the sweet tournaments are getting pushed back. So you just go, well, I'm not going to vacation late. I'm not going to be able to relax later. I'm going to. Because the one thing I've been I thinking about, myself too. I have to look at the schedule, but don't you imagine, because these guys are going to want to try to make some money, that some of the tournaments in the middle of the summer that would just have one guy are just going to be loaded fields? Was well, the FedEx like, Cup still happening? Is that still part of the season? 
Because that's, I mean, the FedEx Cup has created a situation where more guys play more events. True, but let's say even if they've had to work around that and it's not going to take place the same way, just to try to make money. Like if you're Bubba Watson, you were going to take this week off. Well, if you haven't played for three months, why wouldn't you just play in back-to-back tournaments? Right. Or DJ or any of these guys. Especially because the the season got halted early in the season, so you just spent a lot of time off. Yeah, I think if you're like, if you look up and you're like the John Deere Classic, the top five leaderboards, like Tiger, Rory, DJ, Kepka, like you're just going to see some Justin Thomas. These guys are going to play all these tournaments. It's just basic money. Yeah. They, they're, they don't get paid. Now, they do with their endorsements and stuff, but golf earnings, like you got to pay to make money. You got to play, yeah. right? You're not like a, a player that you get like, oh, I get three weeks off and, you know, like in basketball or football. Right. Well, I'm excited. Me too. You said Sunday? Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific. I'll be there. Be there or be square. <laughs> be there is the answer. All right. On that note, Godspeed. Adios. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.